Okay, what is up? Good teams in the NFL. Those that won didn't feel like they won, and there's some others that lost, but whatever. It's kind of that league, but we'll dig into that. We'll do it with Todd McShay as well. Uh, we'll also go over Washington's big win against Oregon, get an updated look at his top 10 to 12 prospects for the NFL draft, and a breakdown of Caleb Williams' awful night in South Bend. We have life advice. We have our FanDuel Monday night pick. There's one parlay out there that everybody seems to love right now. And a final announcement for this. We'll do it again on Wednesday as well. Live show from the 900 Club in Manhattan Beach, right on Manhattan Ave. The doors are going to open at 4, so it's going to be first come, first serve. There are no tickets. I repeat, there are no tickets to the event to be sold. We're just doing it this way um, because it's actually the only way we could do it if we wanted to do a show in Manhattan Beach. So shout out to 900 Club and Dave for letting this happen. Guests developing. Very excited about some of the developments uh, so far. But again, it's going to be this Friday. So if you want to go, I don't know how early you're going to have to get there. I don't know how busy it's going to be, but it's a small venue. It's a small venue. So good luck. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo knows it's not about whether you win or lose, it's about cheering louder, traveling further. It's about showing up no matter what because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. An ice cold reward, rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. So week six in the books, sort of, until our Monday night game. We'll have a pick for that a little bit later, but it feels a bit like a WTF week in general. Now, the NFL will do this every now and then, reminds us what it is capable of doing, even with the best team. So let's run through it. The Bills win on Sunday night football against the Giants. Um, they're down 6-0, shut out through three quarters after the Jags loss in London where they scored seven points through the first three quarters. So you're like, all right, you need to be kidding me with this. Um, credit the Giants defense for, for hanging in there. But, at the, but on the other side of it, it's Tyrod Taylor. It's not Daniel Jones. The offensive line is a mess. Both tackles are gone. They lose the backup third tackle. And then Justin Pugh, who's introduced, is off the couch, which I will get to later on. Then he swings out the left tackle. He didn't even look like he was filling out his uniform. I mean, granted, I know he's a very big guy, but he, was, he wasn't playing football. And he goes from left guard to left tackle in the same game. So it's not like the Giants were doing anything. I think there's a, there's a little bit of a like, hey, Brian Dable in this offense, they're doing some good things. They weren't asking Taylor to do too much. They're like, dude, they scored six points. The Bills scored zero through three quarters. Uh, we know the defensive injuries that they've had that we've covered already, but I'm starting to think the Miami win for Buffalo was worse for Buffalo than it was for Miami. 
because since that game and some of its injuries, but it's almost like Buffalo is like, all right, we've got this. This is our division. And granted, I think they're still a really good football team. And I think Josh Allen is really good. But Miami said the right things after that game where they were admitting, yeah, we probably needed a bit of a wake up call here. So I don't know if that game means something or if it means that Buffalo started feeling themselves too much and Miami needed some sort of conference reset. Uh, I I thought Allen was was bad last night. Even the second touchdown, I can't believe he made that throw. I thought there were three or four throws. I was like, what is he doing? He's like completely parallel to the line of scrimmage. And then he's just throwing it. And we know, like, on this podcast, I say all the time, like, stop worrying about perfect mechanics. There's very few throws that are perfectly set up, great foundation, all the things that you would want. But sometimes these guys get into these bad habits, and, like, Allen feels like he's in a run. Now, I also think, this isn't really making excuses. I think it's true. When he got hit and he went backwards and they buzzed to go check him for concussion protocol stuff, he had actually been hurt earlier in the game. He went down and he immediately grabs his throwing shoulder. Okay. He immediately goes for it. And I don't know, like last year when we talked about the interceptions, it's like, okay, well, clearly this elbow thing's the big difference. But I, I think it's all part of it. And I was just, I'm really surprised to see them play this poorly. I know they got the win. Uh, Diggs had 16 targets. Everyone else combined had 12 targets. They're missing one of their tight ends again, who I was really excited about. But, uh, a weird, a weird win for another Super Bowl contender, but at least they won. Um, like I said, I think I feel better about Miami now, even after that head-to-head matchup. Uh, Miami, who's down fourteen nothing to Carolina, then scores thirty-five straight points. You want to talk about a score where you're like, "Wait, is this going to happen? Is this going to add to all the absurdity of this weekend?" Uh, not the case. Mostert now has what eleven touchdowns in six games. Achan didn't even play in this one. And also, I need to correct this Carolina mistake that I've made now. Uh, whenever looking at the top quarterbacks in the draft and then going like, would a team now, because Carolina's 0-6, would they ever do it? They don't have their pick. It was part of the trade, so you don't have to worry about that. I have made that mistake, so I just want to make sure I clear that one up on Bryce Young potentially being replaced by a draft pick, Uh, at least not the number one pick or wherever it ends up landing. So Philly loses. So as much as you're worried about the Bills, because that was ugly, it just was. I mean, cool, you won, but what's going on? You have Philly who loses to the Jets. Hertz was terrible. <laughs> he had three picks. The third one, I couldn't believe he threw. You know, two defensive backs are basically bookending the receiver. They're all at the same depth. So, you know, if you're expecting your guy's going to be able to make a play on the ball before the defenders are, not really the case. I mean, in considering game situation, score, all that kind of stuff, like that was that was rookie stuff. Like I, you know, again, some of the best quarterbacks still make mistakes, but that one for Hurts on another bad day, where depending on which game you're looking at this season, this game or the New England game, you know, two of the worst games that Hurts has had in a while. Uh, explosive plays are just down for this team for whatever reason. They have the personnel for it, um, but explosive plays are like less than half of what they used to be in the passing game. Hasn't mattered. We've talked about their rushing attack, that they can go to that when the passing isn't working. Well, not against this Jets defense. Like, it's funny, but this Jets defense is that good. That's why the whole Aaron Rodgers thing is so absurd. Because Zach Wilson, if you want to go through, like, some of the playing the result stuff that we do with quarterbacks far too often, Wilson's 
I would say, had one game where you wouldn't want to bench him the next week. The Denver game. Or no, no, I should get the Kansas City game. The Kansas City game. Um, look, if you dig through all the numbers on those other games, the fact that they're even competitive in any of these speaks to how absurd this defense is, how great the line linemen are. I mean, every single level has something where you're like, oh, it's a D-line game. Oh, it's their linebackers all over the place. I feel like their linebackers are involved in everything the entire game anyway. Um, but this is this is turning a bit into like, oh, well, Zach Wilson isn't that bad. It's like, yeah, I actually still think he is that bad. Um, most of the games aren't that good. On the other side, for Philly, you lose Lane Johnson. Three guys from the secondary actually left the game, so we're starting to get to that point. You know, We saw it with Buffalo. We saw it with San Francisco. We're going to get to there. In a little bit here on some of the injury totals and some of the stuff that starts adding up here. And Hurts, by the way, um, seven picks this year. Jalen Hurts had seven. He had six all of last season. All right. Um, San Francisco loses to Cleveland. Cleveland is now allowing. We're definitely not making. I think this will be the week where people start realizing how absurd this defense is. Cleveland is allowing 200.4 yards per game. Okay. The last time we saw a team do this, now granted they got to do it for the whole season to keep up with what's happening here historically. We're talking like 50 years ago, over 50 years ago. Um, the Vikings in 1969 uh, averaged, uh, they allowed an average of 194 yards per game. Um, in 1970, it was 200 yards a game. So we're talking in this version of the NFL, Cleveland is doing something that we haven't seen since 1969 and 1970 was one of the great historic defenses of all time in Minnesota. So we know that they've been really good. Going back to week one against Cincinnati, we're like, are they really good? Is Jim Schwartz really that good? Was it just the weather? Like, what's going on? That was a sign. And by the way, Cleveland has lost every turnover battle of every game they've been in so far this year. And that's also, as you probably knew this, without Deshaun Watson even playing in the game. Now, on the other side for San Francisco, some really good numbers when you look at what's happened with McCaffrey, pre-McCaffrey, now with McCaffrey, and then without him. So the, he goes out. Trent Williams goes out at left tackle. He actually came back in. Debo went out. So before McCaffrey was on San Francisco, they were 19th in expected points added, right, offensively. So they get McCaffrey in, and they're first. Now, my issue with the McCaffrey trade wasn't that he wasn't awesome. I was just like, he's just going to get hurt again. And I thought, you know, it's just right around the corner with him. And he he had. And he's the perfect fit for all the different things that San Francisco would want to do. You look at him certain nights, you're like, oh, it's it's because he's doing this in the passing game. It means the other team has to play man coverage a lot more. And Purdy's actually better against man. But it's because he has McCaffrey because they don't want to just let McCaffrey do whatever he wants. Well, you take all of those pieces away. Now, all of a sudden, Cleveland's playing a different kind of man. And Purdy looks like the guy that was the last pick in the draft. And there's a very weird thing that happens, and it happened with Josh Allen, you know, and he turned into a really good quarterback. It was somehow like it wasn't good enough for a fan base to just have a quarterback who's really good. It has to be that everybody was also wrong about their quarterback. To this day, I'll never understand the Josh Allen thing of like they came up with some petition where they were like, we want you to repent for not thinking he was the man his first couple of years. I didn't think he was the man because he didn't play like it. He turned into a better quarterback later on. That's okay. But somehow that's not good enough. And it was happening with Purdy too, where it's like, oh, everybody's only saying this about Purdy because of this, this, and this. We're like, well, I don't know. Like teams passing them for seven rounds. There had to be some reason that happened. 
I think we all agree that Shanahan is the guy that figures this all out. So you take away some of those pieces like you do for anybody else. Like the really special quarterbacks are the guys that find a way, even when you take away all their toys. Um, and Purdy may eventually become one of those guys that would still feel like a reach. Uh, but we saw yesterday, finally, you know, I mean, look, he'd been really clean for a long time, hadn't thrown an interception, hadn't lost a game. So you can't just sit here and be like, oh, I see, I told you he wasn't that good. But we saw for an afternoon, he really struggled against a really good defense there. So I know it sounds like I'm I'm knocking him a bit. I guess I'm just surprised at all the – you get a good quarterback in Purdy. It seems like he can be your guy. But you also want everyone to admit that they were wrong for something that every team in the NFL did by passing on him numerous times. Best win, worst loss. Uh, I'm going to go with the Lions against Tampa Bay. Tampa had been 3-1. and one. You're looking at teams that are leading their division – you know, with Tampa, you're like, could they actually be a sneaky division winner? And it feels that way with some of the Saints stuff that's going on. Um, Goff goes for 340 yards. Jameis Williams back in the end zone, who doesn't have a lot of catches in his career for the weird start that he's had to it, whether it's the injury or the suspension. But just seeing him out there and remembering just how special he was at Bama, there's no reason why he doesn't become a big-time weapon for them, even if it looks a little like it's it's just not smooth as of right now. Even the touchdown was kind of a weird deal. But anyway, he's going to be able to take the top off of defense a lot depending on how he wants to play and it just adds something else to them they go nine and 16 on third down two of 12 for baker um look tampa's one-dimensional again we knew the story from last year but at least with detroit you start looking at them at the nfc overall in their conference both at five and one after this weekend with philadelphia and san francisco losing worst loss i think it's the saints i'm going to stay in this division they lose 20 to 13 to Houston. And it's not because it's the Texans. The Texans are a viable opponent. Um, we've watched them throughout this year. They they are in games. I mean, D'Amico might be coach of the year. At least that's the way it feels a third into the season. But for the Saints to go from what I thought could be the best team in the NFC South to maybe the third best team after Houston and Tampa and losing to both of them in a two of the last three weeks and it feeling significant feeling like this offense can't do enough to go with what I thought would be a really good defense. That's this is, I'm now worried about the saints, a team that I was much higher on before the season started. I guess the other worst loss could be Philly against the jets, um, which is totally fine too, but we've already covered it on that one. And we all respect the jets defense that much more. All right. Numbers you should know. Hertz has been pressured now uh, in that game. He was pressured on 21 of 50 dropbacks. He is 3-7 and seven in 10 starts where he's pressured on over 40% of his dropbacks. Uh, Philadelphia also has the number two toughest remaining schedule. Think about this. They've got Miami, then they've got Washington, they've got Dallas, Kansas City, the Bills, the Niners, and Dallas again. So that's six to seven games of the Washington matchup there against the Commanders lumped in between. Cincinnati has the toughest remaining schedule as of right now, but Philadelphia, that is brutal at number two. Um, how about this one? Miami now weeks one through six is averaging 37 points per game. That's the fifth highest since 2000. So I was like, wait, this actually feels a little low. Do you remember the Denver Peyton Manning team that actually got smoked in the Super Bowl against Seahawks? They started their 2013 season weeks one through six averaging over 44 points per game. So they were a touchdown better than what Miami is doing now. And that was 10 years ago as the season played out. That number did dip from the first six weeks to what their ultimate number was, where they averaged just under 38 points per game and again, smoked in the playoffs. Final thought. 
recapping all the weekend introductions. I kind of like the introductions. But I, even as somebody who like definitely isn't an Ohio State fan, I just think it's wrong for anyone to do the also different university. Like you just, I don't understand why anybody does it. I don't understand the SUNY purchase. No, no, no. There's one. The Ohio State guys got to it. Maybe there's some Reddit thread about somebody actually did it from Kentucky and nobody paid attention. And then the Ohio State guys did it. I just don't like it. I don't like it when the other guys try to do it. The high school thing, who knows what somebody went through in college, you know? No issue with that one. Um, when you make up something, though, that's like way out there, like Terrell Suggs used to have a field day with this thing, but at least he was really good and also kind of scary. So I felt like, you know what? Let him have it. If you're, if you're really good and you're going to get creative with the intro, that's okay. When you're a nickel that just got brought in from the practice squad, Let's just keep it between the lines here. Tell us where you went to school. Keep it moving. No dramatic pauses whatsoever. Justin Pugh, who played offensive line for the Giants last night, he said right off the couch. That one I'm okay with. At first I was like, wait, what? And I was like, oh, that's right. He just got signed. He hadn't been playing. And now he's out there running around like a crazy person. And when he moved to tackle, I don't think he was having as much fun as when he was playing guard. So just something to think about. If you're listening to this right now and you're an NFL player and didn't go to the Ohio State University, it just doesn't, it just sounds weird when you do it with the other school. The NFL season is going strong and FanDuel wants to help you enjoy it even more with two great offers. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers get a profit boost every day so you can boost your winnings even more. Okay, Monday Night Football, what do we got? We have the most played same-game parlay, which is bet 10 to win 120-ish. Anytime score, Eckler, CeeDee Lamb, Tony Pollard, Keenan Allen. That's a lot going on there. Uh, But the payout, some of these same-game parlays, the payouts are massive on them. But you're going to think, all right, I think the game goes over. The total on this one is 50.5. Chargers are getting a point and a half at home. I would play the Chargers here plus a point and a half. And on the props, if you think it's going over, you could just play the over 15 and a half, and then you could jump on and be like, all right, am I going to be am I going to be good enough? Am I going to be lucky enough to get that kind of payout where it's basically like 12 to 1 if this game were to break wide open and the four best players all end up in the end zone? Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Ryan and get into the NFL action with offers you won't want to miss. 21 and older in present and select states. Bet $5. Get $200 off. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issues. Non-withdrawable bonus bets that expired seven days after receipt. Daily profit boost token offer bonus issued as non-withdrawable profit boost token restrictions apply including token expiration see terms for both offers at sportsbook.fanduel.com okay here we go college football top 12 rankings and i don't like them again all right five different teams have first place votes on the ap poll which is kind of what is going on i actually i actually kind of like it because Makes you think, all right, uh, Georgia has 43 of them. Michigan has 16. Ohio State has one. Florida State has one. Washington has two. 
Oklahoma actually has a first place vote in the coaches poll as well, despite being seventh in the coaches poll. Um, so they have both polls have Texas as the highest ranked team with a loss, eight in both the AP and the coaches. All right, so here's my deal. Michigan, I don't like it. We'll find out November 11th against Penn State, won't we? Um, number two, I have Georgia. They're number one in both polls. Uh, the Florida, Mizzou, Ole Miss, Tennessee run, a little bit more depth there than people thought. Certainly more impressive than the Michigan stuff leading up to Penn State. So, um, you know, Georgia very easily can be back in this without like the big dramatic showdown against somebody else like we're going to have with Penn State here and Michigan very shortly. Uh, I have Oklahoma third. I want to, you know, we did this with McShay a bit, but basically like when I look at who has the best single win, if we were doing playoff resumes with that, I still feel like Texas, despite being neutral field, is a better win than anybody else has at this point. Uh, I'm going to go Washington four. I could honestly put Washington one, two, three, or four. Four is maybe the lowest I could put them, but really impressed them. Beat an Oregon team that I thought had more answers on defense, and they just didn't. So Washington wins that one at home. I've got Texas five. I have Florida State six. I have Ohio State seven, which feels really low. I know the Notre Dame win is better than, I don't know. I mean, it's better than anything George has done. And it's certainly better than anything Michigan has done. But I think this is partly me holding Ohio State to a higher standard. But obviously the coaches and the AP love them and give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I have Oregon eight. I wasn't going to drop them a ton, although their resume with that loss to Washington, the best thing they have is Colorado 19, which is a fake ranking win because they're ranked at the time and Colorado's not going to be ranked. Uh, it's going to take some massive repair work for them to be ranked again after blowing that game to Stanford. I have Penn State at nine. They've got Ohio State this weekend. So here you go. The other little dirty secret that's happening here in the Big Ten again, um, and this is just what happens in this conference a lot, is there's two maybe really good teams and then the third good team might be Penn State, but it's up to them to beat Ohio State or Michigan one of these times. So we feel like it's a three-team league. And I know other people in the past will be like, well, that's – there's Iowa playing in the Big Ten championship game, which is looking like it's going to happen. Uh, that's that's going to be gross. So it, unfortunately, when we start getting into some of these playoff race stuff and trying to figure out how everybody fits in, a win against Iowa, if it's Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, and that's after they beat Wisconsin and Mordecai broke his hand, had surgery already. That's that's not going to be the bonus chip that it's going to be for other conferences, whether it's a rematch of Washington and Oregon, whether it's a rematch of Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12, uh, if it's Atlanta with Bama and Georgia. The ACC thing is kind of weird because some of those teams are going to miss each other in the regular season, but it's lining up with a couple really nice teams at the top, whether it's North Carolina and Florida State. The Big Ten, if it's close, right? Look, if Michigan's undefeated, they're going to be in anyway. But if something weird were to happen and you needed that Big Ten championship game to help you get back ahead of somebody, beating Iowa is not going to be the one the committee goes, you know what? That's kind of nice. Throw the, throw the records out when those two play. Uh, I have North Carolina 10th, Tez Walker. Apparently that guy is pretty good at receiver. There's a reason they were so upset he wasn't going to play. Well, he gets ruled eligible, three touchdowns, 
And the rest of the way for North Carolina, the only ranked opponent on the schedule will be Duke as of now. Duke is 16 in the AP. Uh, and then potentially Clemson, who was 27th, if you include others receiving votes. UCLA dropped to 25. James Madison is ahead of Clemson. So there you go. And then I've got Bama, who I think after letting Arkansas get the football back, down one score. That was a bit surprising after the way that game started. And I think it just speaks to the part where Milrow is going to have some really shaky moments in a game. The AM game does not mean it's all fixed. Uh, and then I went 12 with Ole Miss just because I like a couple of their wins. Uh, and SC now, Notre Dame, you know, with the Louisville loss, it's going to be tough to put them ahead of some of the one-loss teams here. But I had one last thing on USC Notre Dame. There's a video of a Notre Dame fan running towards Caleb Williams saying, let me see your fingernails now. Now, look, I think there are times where I'm probably more sympathetic to the fan getting absolutely blasted by security when he runs out onto the field. And I know you could say, hey, look, you have no idea where that fan's head is at take them out without any discretion whatsoever. And you're probably right, and I'm wrong. I just think there's a couple times where it's it's kind of hard to a guy who's like, I'm going to murder this dude running out on the field, and I'm going to make a point, and everybody kind of laughs, and it's good. And it's like, all right, maybe, maybe you didn't have to go that far. If a player ends up just destroying a kid who comes up with a video camera to then harass him, embarrass him, after this guy's just lost an emotional game and Caleb Williams didn't play well, like I have no idea where this is going, but I don't like it. I don't. I'm not a fan of where it's going because I'm actually a little worried. Um, but I I don't think I'll have any sympathy for the fan if that transaction ever goes a lot uglier than it did with Caleb Williams and the uh, guy from Notre Dame that was saying we did it when it was like, well, yeah, but I mean you didn't play, so how much did you really do? This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? (laughs) I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class. That just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out now. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. 
our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Ryan. Another visit with Todd McShay on a Monday. So excited about that. So look, Washington, Oregon, Todd really was everything we could have hoped for. Um, you know, really impressed with with Penix. You're just kind of new at that point. Like, oh, they're getting the ball back after the fourth down stop two plays later. Then Fowler gets greedy with it, man. Fowler's like, oh, they went too quick. And I'm like, man, you're trying <laughs> to win the game. Like, yeah. you know, you can't you can't be like, let's get him on the fourth pass attempt um, so there's less clock. But it just is automatic with Penix, and it, and it wasn't really surprising that he was the better quarterback that day, despite some of the numbers telling you that Oregon actually controlled the game a little bit more than Washington did. But there you go. Huskies win. Yeah, I, I was so impressed with Penix in this game. I really was because it was clearly the best competition that Washington had faced defensively all year. Penix was was dealing with pressure all, all game long. And how about the toughness? Like getting knocked down, limping throughout the game. There were times where you wondered if he was going to have to come off the field for a little bit, and he just kept fighting. And and to have to be put in a situation in this big of a game where you've got to you've got to lead your team, you're you're playing from behind, and it was two plays, like one, two. And, yeah, did they score too fast? Sure, you can make that argument. But I, I agree. Like, you take what you can get, and that's that's the nature of their offense. The thing that impressed me most, though, from an evaluator standpoint, just looking forward to the next level with Penix, these are NFL-style throws. These are 20, 30, 35, 40 yards down the field. Anticipation. The ball just, just fires off his hand, and he does it with placement and trajectory and, and layering the ball when he needs to. You know, watching Bo Nix, we can get into Bo more, but, like, there's so much to love about what he's doing and how, how physical and aggressive and tough he is. But it's hard to evaluate him with an RPO-based offense primarily versus Penix. It's like, all right, that's an NFL throw. That's an NFL throw over and over again. And, yeah, he has great wide receivers, but McMillan was injured and, and wasn't as big a part. It really wasn't much of a part of the game. It, and certainly not what they expected him to be in that game. But his accuracy down the field, throwing for 302 yards, playing, you know, playing smart but aggressive throughout the game. I just saw a quarterback that's in complete control, understands his system, understands post-snap what he's what he's seeing. And the confidence is just exuding in him in terms of making throws that are not easy throws, and he's not thinking twice about it. He's going out and just reacting and playing. And his skill set with the mobility he has to extend, but most importantly, the way the ball, the ball just snaps off his hand is really impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, anybody that's watched him and then seen him do this, uh, I think on the Oregon side of it, you know, there were a couple fourth down decisions by Lanning I didn't like. Um, I know that's kind of Lanning's personality. Yep. And, you know, he was unapologetic, although taking the blame for the loss after the fact. The last fourth down, you know, the more I thought about it, the more it's like, hey, they're probably going to make up the 20 or 30 yards that they would get on a punt here pretty quickly with Penix and these receivers. But they're just, I have a really hard time with anybody in a game that you know is going to be tight. Like people are just way too dismissive of those three points for some fourth down situations that are ideal, especially when it's fourth down in the red zone. You're like, if you're more than three or four yards, there's just not a lot of room for you to get those passes off. And people are just acting like those three points are worthless now, especially when you don't benefit from the 
the field position all the time. Now, granted, this isn't right. as egregious as some of these teams that do it with like two seconds left in the half. And you go, you're not even getting the ball back if this doesn't work. Um, your thoughts on Lanning, who who definitely, there's some people that just think like, hey, this guy's wired this way. Um, there's also another group of people who tell you he's just flat out making mistakes with this stuff. Yeah, I think you live and die by the sword sometimes, right? You know, I, this is, he, he said it pregame. He stuck with what he wanted to do. And it's an aggressive approach. He believes in his team. When you have a quarterback that's playing at the level that Bo Nix has played in, played the second half numbers, especially for Bo Nix, and, and you know the way they were converting, the way the efficiency of the offense. I mean, they weren't making a lot of mistakes in the second half of that game. So, I I get it, I understand, but I also, I think you wake up the day after and say, well, you said you wanted to be aggressive. You told your players were going to be aggressive. You had that mentality going in, but yet you weren't making aggressive coaching decisions. So I, I think either way, we're going to you, you wind up looking back on it if if you do lose, regardless, and saying, well, he didn't live up to what he was saying, you know, the aggressive approach that he wanted to take, or we're sitting here, you know, on Monday having the conversation we're having now that you know there's a difference between aggressiveness and and playing it smart. So I personally, I know what you're saying. I appreciate what you're saying. But I also get what Lanning was doing. And I, I get that when you trust your offense, when you trust your offensive line, when you trust your quarterback, at some point you've just you've gotta you've gotta live with what your what the design is. And I think that's what he did. And you know, I think more often than not with that quarterback and with that team, it's gonna pay off. Maybe it didn't this time. They'll probably have another shot at it in the Pac twelve championship, which I obviously can't wait to see. But um but at this point, you know, I, I look at it and say, you know what, I, I understand what he was doing and I know why I know, you know, what goes into the mindset of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't. I also would like to know. I mean, there's just so much that goes on in the sideline. Like, hey, here are our numbers. Here's what we believe. Yeah. Here's the look here. We're getting what we want in the look, which is what he said, I think, on two of them. The last one in the moment, I didn't like it, but. You know what? I was like, Washington's probably going to score no matter what here anyway. Right. So we might as well go for opponent, it. You almost have to take risks that you that you maybe don't want to because you you know what can happen if if you if you're not aggressive. And we saw in yeah. two plays. Yeah, I just happen. the end of the half stuff though always always bothers me because it's just like you're not getting rewarded the field position by right. doing this when you're when you're when you're going for it at their three yard line. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, then it's just, Oh, okay. You know, then we'll just, we'll kick it off in the second half, you know? Cause I, I think sometimes that I'm totally okay with it. Cause it's like, all right, well, cool. Now, now they're backed up anyway. And you should probably, you know, the way they do the math on the expected points per possession, like the next time you have the ball, it's probably a much better expectation because of the field position. All right. I'll, I'll uh, be interested to see if, it, if the, the mindset changes or the approach yeah. changes, if, if they, if they are, fortunate enough to get another shot at Washington you know does he go back and self-scout and say you know and if there are if there is a situation or two in in that second game if they if they play it differently if he learns something from it or if it's like hey this is what we do this is who we are we're gonna ride it so what do you think is the, if we're doing like the committee stuff and there's still a lot of work to be done here with teams finally playing somebody um what's your favorite win of any of the teams? I'm going to say Washington over, over Oregon in this game. Honestly, like you look at some of the others, like Texas over Bama, which we've talked about. 
uh, Oklahoma over Texas. I would rank it this way. So far, I would go Washington over Oregon. And yes, you're playing at home. And it's a decided advantage, especially there. But you had to have a fourth quarter comeback, right? It was a back and forth game. Clearly, the opponent you're playing is what we 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 thought the opponent was coming in, which wasn't necessarily get over the goal line stand. By the way, too, like yes. the goal line stand, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. needing both sides of the ball, not playing well offensively early on. Neither team, you know, there were a couple punts early on, kind of slow, slow starting for both teams. Playing, playing to your strengths, and we knew that Penix was going to have to have a big game. He throws for over 300. We knew that they were going to have to attack Oregon. They do it in the, in the secondary. Um, I just thought it was – these are two of the most complete teams in the country. And when you go out as, as a Washington team and, and you know what you have to do, but also the opponent knows what you're going to do, and you're still able to execute it, that to me, you know, and, and it's such a close game. Neither team really, really crumbled. You can – we talked about the coaching decisions and moments here and there, but both teams were up to the task. I compare that, and at the time, like there was no better win. It was early in the season, but Texas versus Alabama, and we said, like the biggest surprise coming out of that game, right, was that Texas was dominant in the trenches. And you don't see a Nick Saban team. We haven't historically seen a Nick Saban team kind of get pushed around the way that they did. Well, yeah, the defense has gotten better for Alabama, and and it it was, you know, it's still surprising that Texas on the offensive line was able to kind of push Alabama around. But Alabama is not the team that we that we're used to seeing from a Nick Saban team. So, and even this past weekend against Arkansas, struggling th- a three point win, it is not what we what we're used to seeing from Alabama. So, I don't want to say that win is diminished, but it's certainly not as impactful in my mind as what we thought coming out of what was a week two of the season. So, so I would I would say Washington over Oregon would be the the biggest the most impressive win to me if I was on the committee of all the wins so far this season. Number two would be Oklahoma over Texas. Because while Alabama isn't quite as good as we expected, that's still a damn good football team, Texas has. And you have to factor in the three turnovers. You'd like to think if they have a, you know, if they rematch in the Big 12 championship, Texas is going to protect the ball better. Quinn Ewers himself turned the ball over three times with two interceptions and and a fumble. Um, But Oklahoma forced it too. I mean, Oklahoma was part of the, the transaction there. So, and, and it was a rivalry game and they got shot at, what was it? 49, 49, nothing the previous year. And, and yeah. to, to bounce back from that. So to me, that would be the second most impressive win, Oklahoma over Texas. And then the third most impressive win of the season would be Texas over Bama. And then listen, strength of schedule. I don't know what the numbers say, but I think, Florida State and getting a win over LSU and Clemson at Clemson, you know, that that combination of two wins is, is pretty impressive and stands out in my mind. And the way, like, you know, Clemson struggled against Syracuse. Like, I know Syracuse isn't a great team. I know they played at Florida State. But, like, it feels like Florida State, just watching this past week with Keon Coleman now becoming an even bigger factor in the um, in the, the return game and, and what he's doing, Florida State – the quarterback play scares me a little bit for Florida State because while while you know Travis is he's so um, you know elusive and such a dynamic athlete, there's a lot of inconsistency in the passing game there. But uh, but Florida State has been impressive with what they've done in my opinion so far. But 
clearly to me, Washington over Oregon is, is the most impactful win. I, I don't know if you agree. I would have Oklahoma, Texas, just because it was neutral. You know? Yeah, I get but, that. Uh, it's, it, there's, it's not far off. And then I would have it there. And you're right. Like, as I watch, you know, the, the ups and downs of Milro again, you know, A&M was a bit of a tease, but he's still getting sacked all the time. So this big, giant offensive line for Bama. So, look, this all just kind of plays into it a little bit. I mean, maybe it still is Texas at Tuscaloosa on a Saturday night, but it's just, you know, every week that plays out with Bama, we just know, even if they're going to end up in Atlanta against Georgia, who you now who knows with Georgia with Brock Bowers now out yeah. for the season with this angle uh, surgery that he's going to have, which is a, a devastating blow to this team. Yeah, we were, um, I was talking last week how he should be in the Heisman race. Like, that's how important he is for Georgia. Okay, so let's do your top 10 prospects and how, how much is it's changed potentially here halfway through the season. Yeah, listen, we'll, we'll get to Caleb Williams, I, I think, at some point here for USC. Not his – I mean, I could argue his sloppiest start, his sloppiest game. I would argue the sloppiest game that he's You played. sent me, like, five yeah, was, clips I'm, last night, I and I was like, Mike, <laughs> you, you were very – you were worked up. I was sitting in my room on my couch. I was like, give me that, give me that tape. Give me the coach copy tape. I, I got to watch it back. Because I, I watched it live. But there were two other games going on at the same time, you know. So I was kind of flicking, flipping back and forth in different games. And I, I went back and studied Caleb Williams and his footwork. You know, I, I've made the comparison with with uh, Patrick Mahomes, right? Patrick Mahomes, though, coming out, sloppy footwork, didn't play within the system, made a lot of spectacular throws, but made a lot of questionable decisions. And you wondered if he was going to be able to kind of take that next step in the league. And obviously, he's he's become Patrick Mahomes, right? But Caleb Williams is kind of the same sloppiness that you saw out of Mahomes when he was at Texas Tech. Throwing off balance when he doesn't have to throw off balance. Not getting his feet underneath him. Um, you know, making decisions where you're like, come on. Like, I, I know how talented you are. I understand it. But I, I sent you the three interceptions. Two of them were, were really bad decisions, not seeing the field. One of them, the first one I think it was, was him. And I don't know who's, how many people are watching the video. But one of them is, he's got time. He's got time in the pocket. Set your feet, throw it over the middle, and let the ball fall in. Instead, it's that that same shit that we saw from Mahomes at Texas Tech, where it's like a shortstop, you know, like feet, like my 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 two feet are parallel instead of perpendicular to the the offensive line, and it's like fling it, fling it, coming out like a shortstop turning too. I get you can do that, and there were you know four or five of his best throws in that Notre Dame game, and and probably. You know, 20 other of his highlights are him throwing off balance, changing his arm angle, flicking the ball. And you're like, wow, how did he do that? But when you don't have to, don't do it. And that's what Mahomes has learned. Like, trust your mechanics when you have the time. It's when everything else breaks down and you have to flick the ball and throw off balance. That's great. You can, but don't make that your norm, you know? And so there were some things in that game that, that concern you, but he's still. To me, he's the most dynamic playmaker in college football, the, the most special quarterback that we've seen in years coming out in the draft. But I'll say this, talking to the guys in the league, and this goes back to my top top 10, Drake May, in many people's eyes that I've talked to in the league, that it's either very close. Some guys I've talked to have Drake May from, uh, from North Carolina as the number one quarterback, built a little bit more traditionally, has, you know, can, can endure, they think, uh, 
you know, contact and, and the physicality of the NFL game. So regardless of, of where it winds up being, Caleb Williams and Drake May are going to be the top two quarterbacks off the board and very likely could be the top two players drafted in, in next April's uh, class. Marvin Harrison Jr. still still up there at number three at wide receiver. Obviously, the quarterback play has not been great this year, but he, he is just, he's a phenom. And we've seen so many great receivers. I talked about he's going to be in the class of like Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, uh, Jamar Chase, like that that high of a grade. He'll be the first non-quarterback drafted. I'll shock. I'll be shocked if he's not. Then you kind of get to that next tier, but it's still a great tier. Oli Fashanu, the offensive tackle from Penn State, I have at number four overall. I still have Brock Bowers at number five. You know, we're coming. We're just getting kind of the news about the injury and season ending. Let's see how the surgery goes and what the doctors say. But Bowers is going to be the first tight end off the board, most likely somewhere in the top 10. Joe Alt, offensive tackle from Notre Dame, is number six. Cornerback Kool-Aid McKinstry from Alabama, I've got at number seven. And then you've kind of got to run on wide receivers and edge rushers. I think we're going to see a ton of receivers and edge rushers kind of in that top seven to 20 range in this class. Uh, Liatu Latu. From UCLA, I've moved up as the number one edge. His durability after retiring from football, the neck injury he had prior from the transfer, um, I, I think that that will come into play. It could drop him a little bit, but on on tape, Latu has been the best edge rusher in, in the the country. Jared Verse is the next guy at number nine, Florida State's edge rusher. Just a, a you know great story coming from Albany, impactful player versus the run and the pass. I've said it before. That LSU tape from 2022, the best edge rushing tape I've seen in the college ranks in years. I mean, he's just dominant in both sides, you know, both as a pass rusher and versus the run. Then at number 10, I've got Keon Coleman from Florida State, who's kind of risen as the season's gone on. He's not a burner. He's a long strider. He'll kind of kill your pursuit angle. But I, I think if he's not a top 10 pick, it will be because he lacks a little bit of that suddenness. But at 6'4", 215, He's a huge target, and he's become just a, a dynamic playmaker. And then the the OLI, the outside looking in, Chop Robinson is an edge that I think is going to be a top 15 pick from Penn State. He's been just all over the field for the Nittany Lions. I can't wait to see what he does against Ohio State this week. And then my fast riser, I don't want to say he's in number 12, but he's moving up. I think he's going to potentially be a first-round pick. Tez Walker from North Carolina. With his size, his length, six foot three, six foot four, somewhere in that range, around 210, 212 pounds. Six catches in his first game back, didn't even start. This past week, he comes in and he was absolutely dominant. I mean, they they put on a clinic against a, a good Miami defense. And, and Tez was a huge, what, he had three touchdown catches in that game. He was just dynamic, yeah. both after the catch and as a vertical receiver. So in that game as well, yeah. um, what's going on with Tyler Van Dyke? Because, you know, I go back to the a tape. See it. He doesn't see it. It's frustrating. Big arm. Moves okay in the pocket for such a big quarterback. He's got, you know, physically looks the part. Can drive the ball like as well as anyone in this class and, and most classes. Makes some throws where you're like, damn, you know, this guy's got it. He, he's, he, and, you know, there's a chance that he gets in the right system in the NFL and, and winds up being a more a better NFL player than an even college player. Because this, I mean, even Justin Herbert wasn't wasn't as prolific at, at Oregon in this in this kind of system and in this kind of team mentality uh, as he has been with the Chargers. So there's there's hope 
for his future. But the thing I keep coming back to and I keep seeing on tape, he's locking on to guys, leading safeties or other defensive backs to his throw. And even with that strong of an arm, he's giving guys too early of a jump. And he's not going through progressions as quickly as he needs to. So if, if he's making one read and he knows where his primary target is, he's just locking on to that guy. He did it. I had him live against uh, Texas A&M, I think it was, last year. Did the same thing. I've studied, you know, because now we thought maybe he would come out last year. So I was studying his 2021 tape going into last season. I studied his 2022 tape thinking he could be a prospect for this past uh, draft class. And now I'm studying this year. I'm just not seeing the progression you would think now in three years into, into starting that you would expect to see from a quarterback. It's just not going the way it's supposed to go again. New system, new coaching, things go the right way in the NFL. Maybe he winds up exceeding expectations. But when you've got a class like this, right, and he's got all that arm talent in the world, and we talked about him potentially coming into last year off of his first season at Miami, that Van Dyke could be a potential first-rounder. Like, he was that talented and that impressive in his first year in 2021. But when, when you're not progressing the way you need to, and you've got a class that includes – Caleb Williams, Drake May, we talked about top two picks likely in this year's class, Shador Sanders, Michael Penix Jr., J.J. McCarthy from Michigan, who I think is very underrated, Quinn Ewers, Bo Nix, and Riley Leonard. That's eight guys, Ryan, eight that could go in the, in the first three rounds and, and belong in the first three rounds based off of, off of the tape this year. So it's you know if you're the ninth quarterback, you're talking about day three. And Van Dyke was projected coming into last year as a potential first-round pick. That's the lack of progression that he has shown. Yeah, look, the, the last pick against North Carolina, I was like, what are you doing? And I just think even the – it was the end zone pick, so I don't know which number it was against Georgia Tech. But, yep. you know, he had a receiver, and it was – I think it might have been on the scene to the left side. I mean, it doesn't matter if it was the outside receiver or the inside receiver. But it was so clear, like, hey, guess what? When you make that throw, a safety's coming over from the other side. Like, he doesn't have to go deep. Yeah. He only has to stay within the boundary. And it was just surprising for a guy that's had as many snaps to do some of that stuff. Um, yeah, you know, like, granted, everybody's you, you making mistakes. Horses, but, you know those horses and, like, horse racing? What, what they, not the goggles, but the, the, the blinders, right? They put the blinders on. You're the horse they, racing they, they guy. They struggle with, like, other horses that bother, bother them when they see him coming in the peripheral right and left. It's like he has the blinders on something. Like, they put those little blinders on, and, and he's just – that, that's my guy. That's where I'm going with the ball. My arm's stronger than, than every other quarterback you face, and I, I'm, I'm just going to drill it in there. And that worked in high school, and it worked his first year before coordinators got a beat on who he is. And then you come back year two, and, and coordinators, I mean, they sit there and study the tape over and over again. Hey, shit, if he, if he sees his primary, and that's where he's supposed to go, and he based off of the initial read, all week in practice, they're drilling. Let's show him this cover two shell. Let's call him, show them the single high shell. Pre-snap, post-snap, when his eyes go there, you better be creeping early and then bolting. And that's what we're seeing. They've adjusted to what he does, and the blinders have got to be taken off at some point. All right, let's uh, talk about a couple NFL guys here. You know, look, I don't want to do this every week where it's like, hey, Josh Allen had bad throws. I already did this in the open today. Uh, Jalen Hurts had a couple throws. The third pick that he threw, I couldn't believe he yeah. threw it. Uh, yeah, that was, that was then, so unlike Jalen Hurts. 
Right. Especially when it's like you've got two guys waiting to pick this off, man. Two yeah. guys. And yeah. end game situation. Like you want to and, tell me and, you're and, up yeah. 10. Yeah. Right. Like, especially that moment. So, but but I don't I don't want to do this every week. I don't want to do this every week where it's like, oh, hey, this guy who's really good had a bad game. I think the Purdy one, though, was actually interesting. Oh, that it's like, oh, uh, wait. <laughs> can I go back to Jalen for a second, though? Sure. Well, I mean, because look, the numbers aren't as good this year. But I, I'm, I fear doing a weekly no, segment no, where it's no, like, I, hey, I, good quarterback I, I like played think, bad. What does it mean? I know I have a lot of weaknesses in, in what I do, and, I, and I, I don't know all of my weaknesses. <laughs> but I would like to think one of my strengths is like being rational. right? Like the sky's not falling. 29 other teams would like to have the problems the 49ers and the Eagles are waking up to today, right? Sure. sure. Or 30 other teams probably. So. It is an issue, though, that has to be resolved and worked on for, for Philadelphia. I, I think we talked about it. We've talked about it throughout the season with Jalen Hurts. It's not the same. He doesn't look as comfortable at times. The consistency has not been the same this year as we saw last year. Shane Steichen left this offseason. And remember, the play calling was turned over to Shane last year. And things just got better and better and better and better. And he really was a big part of helping develop Jalen Hurts. I'm not saying Steichen's the, the only reason Hurts is great. It's not even close to what I'm saying. But I, I do think sometimes we're like, oh, new coordinator, guys calling the same plays, everything's going to be fine. Something's been a little off. I think when you look at it, it's just like Devontae Smith has not been in, as involved in the offense as normal. Obviously, A.J. Brown's the number one guy. We get it. I think their utilization of Devontae has not been the same. And I think there's a lot of like comfort throws and underneath throws and, and throws with run after catch opportunities that have not been utilized as much. And to see Jalen against this defense that clearly, that, I mean, the Jets defense is one of the elite groups in the, in the league. I don't think anyone would argue that. But they're playing without their two starters at corner, including Sauce Garden. This is a game with those two receivers. And yes, they were missing Lane Johnson in offensive tackle, so pass rush was was he was dealing with it more last night against a really good and deep Jets pass rush. But if you watch back the the game, and I was studying this as I was watching it, it was a lot of three man rush and, and four man rush. Like that was a high percent. They would mix in a blitz in, here and there, but they were taking away because they in part because they knew the Jets that they had the secondary issues. They were taking away the deep ball. It was a game plan defensively that required Philly to be patient and efficient. And Jalen doesn't seem as comfortable. Like there were several times where he would get to the top of his drop and you could see, and if this is not something I'm used to seeing from Jalen, his eyes dropping, his, his posture wasn't up looking. It was kind of down. Where's the rush coming from? How do I get out of here? And it kind of reverted back to some of the stuff you saw as a rookie and some of the stuff that you saw, honestly, at Alabama. So I'm not, the sky's not falling. Jalen Hurts is one of the premier players at any position in the NFL. But there's some stuff that has to be ironed out between now and the end of the season when they go to make the playoff run and try to get back in the Super Bowl and win it this time around that has got to be fixed and addressed. And I think it's going to start with the coordinator getting on the same page with Jalen Hurts. And then also Devontae Smith, I think, has got to be more of a consistent factor in what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, AJ's been lighting it up. I mean, this, yeah. this run of productivity is pretty rare when you're over 125 for four straight games and you know i think with philly the thing i've liked about them is like hey we know the defense is going to be good enough 
We know the deep ball stuff should get better. We know they can run the football when they want to. The lane thing hurts, but like, look, everybody's going to lose like one or two really good players. Yes, what the sport is. Right. So you're just going to have to figure out how to how to get through it. But, uh, yeah, look, he's he's turning the ball over more now than he was last year. He's already surpassed last year's number for that. Yeah. And you know, at least the Jets, the Jets could get pressure with less guys. I mean, that defense is so nasty. So so nasty that they're just going to survive. They're going to survive some of these games. So even though it's I wouldn't want to play Zach Wilson. I wouldn't want to play the Jets. They're a tough out, man. And and Zach's getting better enough to the point where they can they can hang around in games and win with their defense. And if he continues to just show a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, we may we may see a scenario where Aaron Rodgers is like, yeah, week week sixteen, week seventeen, I'm I'm able to come back. And and now and if he's back to anywhere close to 100, percent they're a scary team that you don't want to play in the playoffs. I I know I'm going way ahead of ourselves here, but this team is playing like a team that could win nine, ten games. It really is, even despite the quarterback play. If Zach plays well, you think about maybe trading Rodgers to add more depth. <laughs> I love you, bud. <laughs> Probably not. I'll, I'll call All Joe right, man. Douglas today. <laughs> Let him know. Let him know. Just yeah. We don't want to get the segment wrong. Um, thanks as always. Appreciate it. <laughs> <clears throat> always fun with you. They say money can't buy happiness. Look at the fucking smile on my face. Ear to ear, baby. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. It's Life Advice. Life Advice on a Monday here with Kyle and Steve. What's up, gang? Uh, Got a few. One's a little aggressive. Feels a little aggressive this early on a Monday, but maybe we'll just ease into it here uh, a little bit. Um, We had a lot of follow-ups about the guy who found out that his wife had sent the one picture on WhatsApp. We're not going to read a lot of them. We're going to read none of them because... That guy already feels bad enough. So we appreciate guys sharing their stories, but, you know, that guy's good. probably having a... <laughs> Audience engagement, it's good, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, we, we appreciate what you're doing, but I don't think we're just going to turn it into like, hey, this is what happened to me for this guy, because it, like, there's just a lot of emails that are going to bum him out even more. Yeah. Basically, no one is like, yeah, yeah, it's probably just that one time you're good. Yeah. Just a, just a slight miscalculation one day. So, um, do I do? This one's kind of, uh, um, all right, here we go. How to not sound like a pretentious dick. 48, six foot two, 215, dumbbells at the home. You don't, you don't have to include it. If you don't work out, you don't have to tell us. So there's, I mean, I'm not getting on this guy, but I feel like some people feel a little left out and they're like, well, I don't really work out, but I have some band work that I do. And it's like, okay. So, uh, played high school baseball. Great. While listening to Rosillo's, uh, interview with Stuart Copeland, something came up as a topic of Oysterhead emerged. And for those of you that may have not known about Oysterhead, Trey from Fish and Les Claypool 
side of the plane, this band together as this trio, obviously brought up as Stuart Copeland. Some people would be into it. Some people would not. Uh, it was a very, very big deal. It was a very big deal. These three guys got together and played. Uh, they even came out with an album. I would argue seeing it live because you didn't really know what was going to happen. It was better than the album. Anyway, I worked in music for a long time, still hold a lot of deep connections to some prominent touring artists. I did pro bono publicity and design uh, philanthropy campaigns for some major touring acts. I continue to deploy these efforts today. I'm also a singer songwriter, guitarist. that's played some cool stages with some names and even done some freelance journalism or uh, on some rock and roll th uh, philanthropy, uh, philanthropy. Anyway, um, all to say that I've had some notoriety, but since stepped away from that scene to pursue some other more sustainable paths. So while you all were waxing nostalgic about Oysterhead, stories of my time in that scene with some of those artists just flashed and I got a grin. Note, Chris Long is the only other sports podcaster able to auth uh, authentically what hop industries with ease. Oh, okay. Thanks. Uh, thanks for injecting music into sports. Diehard commanders fan born and raised in VA. Uh, I've struggled with sharing some of these tales in a manner that doesn't make me sound like, well, this one time I was backstage with Trey or yeah, I was on stage when Bruce Hampton died. It sucked. I was, he was a friend. Wow. That sucks. Um, but I sound like a dick to say that hell. I even feel like a bit of one taking the time to write this. I know, I know it's situational. I know how to deliver, et cetera. So for folks with less renown than you, but a bit of a skosh of a niche notoriety what's your suggestion uh i would say who gives a shit like if you have awesome stories like why are you going to apologize for having awesome stories i now look i went through it with a couple of my friends early on but i also realized it was kind of the friends that were rooting against me that were saying that they were excited for me when deep down they kind of wanted me to be a loser because they were more comfortable be being a loser so like one friend straight up was like you know hey you're kind of talking about yourself a lot I was like, ooh, okay, ouch, that stings. And then he was like, you know, it's kind of guys are bringing it up. And I was like, guys are bringing it up. Guys are bringing it up. He's the guy. Like, it's come up. He's like, yeah, dude. He's like, you know. So I was like, all right. And then I thought, man, that really doesn't. I was like, I'm not really doing it that often. Like, I came back from something. It was an incredible experience. And I just kind of got on the phone and started railing away on the story. And the guy just wasn't having it. So, of course, I called the other two guys. I was like, hey, dude, I feel terrible. Like, I just found out supposedly like, and they were like, yeah, absolutely not. Not even close. Never come up. Never bothered us. You have awesome stories. And I'd want to hear about a story where something like that happened. So I was like, oh, okay. So I'm like, so the other guy made it up. He's like, yeah, that's all about him. So there was, there was something in there where. You don't want to be the person that's always, hey, I have a story for that. I have the topper. Like there, you, and you can even lose the self-awareness. And I think sometimes there were times I was doing it um, where, you know, if guy went and told his story or told his story, but then somebody would normally in the group, if I hadn't seen my buddies for a while, would be like, hey, give me, give me a good story about something from work or give me a good story of like one of the best college, you know, give me, give me one of those or give me one of those. Right. So. Um, if you're a good storyteller and you're not an egomaniac about the whole thing and you're around people that are interested in the thing that you have more expertise in, which is clearly some of this music stuff that I just, I don't think you should feel bad for it. You know, you just shouldn't. I, I really feel like, like if you have good stories and really cool, rare experiences, if it bothers the other person, 
Now, granted, they may just not care about music. They may not care about this genre of music that you have the connection to. But a good story is a good story. And if you're a decent storyteller, I, I don't think you should have any hangups about this whatsoever. I mean, has anybody ever called you out for Maybe everybody likes your stories. You know, there's also that, too. Yeah, I think the the thing that's on this guy's side is that these are old stories, too. It's not like everyone's checking in. They're like, oh, I got a new Honda. Oh, uh, you know, got a new lawnmower got an award at work and you're like wow i was just backstage with metallica and this happened like these are old stories this isn't like your check-in when everyone's doing their check-in and yours is way cooler you know what i mean i got an award at work i was backstage <laughs> with metallica that was good well i just i think that there were that, levels like yeah because these are story times these aren't like the check-ins when you're like shitting all over everyone's check-in maybe you're shitting all over everyone's story but I, as long as you can like prove it too i think that's awesome and as long as you don't you know look sound like napoleon dynamite talking about his bow staff skills or something and you're like okay dude but if like you have you know photos and you could prove this stuff like i don't see why anyone would have an issue with any of this stuff especially if it's just if it's just when that when it comes up and it's appropriate if you're like super jazzed to just you know get unlock the vault and tell a story when there's a little bit of silence i think maybe you know somebody would tell you about that but if it's if you're like oh shit i got a great story that matches this conversation we're having it's not a i don't think it's an issue and especially because it's it's not like i said it's not your you're checking you're you're you said you've you moved to a more humble line of work now so you know you can have the regular boring stories for all the all the normies out there too so i think you're all good yeah it's it's one of those things where if you're interjecting into like every conversation like a meaningless anecdote from something that happened to you that's cool that's annoying you know be like oh you know you guys are talking about sports you're like yeah one time i said next to tom brady and you're like that nobody cares it's not a good story but if you have stories that are interesting that pertain to whatever people are talking about and you don't bring them up constantly because you don't want to beat people over the head with it. But, you know, like I'm sure like Ryan, that got like there's there's going to be people that don't like you and they don't want to hear your stories or your success stories no matter what. And there are going to be people that, you know, want to hear you talk about being on the sideline at LSU or doing this and doing that, different things that you've done in your career. So I think it's two things. One, there's like a line between just like interjecting your you know, experiences that may be cool into every story and two, you know, making sure that they're like actually a full good story and they pertain to whatever setting you're talking to or the people that you're talking to. And there's some people that just don't like you and people that do like you. So those, those are the two things I wouldn't worry about it. sounds like you start a podcast with all these stories. Great no, that's advice. a really good point. Like, <laughs> bo no, both of you guys made, made good points. Like the completely unprompted, awesome story. Even can, you know, even though it's an awesome story, you can be like, did you just want to tell an awesome story where you sound awesome in it? Like you're the main character in some really good story. Like, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep an eye on this, you know, <laughs> we'll modern see what your, see what your patterns <laughs> you do are. With this information. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, something else I've noticed is if you're at a certain status, Let's just say, like, okay, I'm at whatever status I'm considering. What status do right? you think you're at? Which, uh, lower than <laughs> lower than other people think. Um, if I'm around some guys that I think have a higher status than me, they don't necessarily want my stories to be better than theirs. There's a yeah. bit of a laying out based on the status hierarchy. It's not so much just alpha stuff, but I've noticed. Like if I'm with somebody that clearly has like more of a resume in life than I do and they're kind of holding court, you're 
you're almost supposed to lay out a little blocker. bit. It's yeah. <laughs> it's almost like uh, it's really weird. It's almost like if that, you're like a, a really, you know, successful rich person, but you're which is somebody who's on a completely different level. Like you don't brag about the stuff that you own or this like, hey, like I don't care about your vacation house, dude. I own an island. You know, like it's the, there's just level again, there's just levels to this. Yeah. So um that's something I've definitely, you know, I've noticed over the years and be like, oh wait, wait. Like I'm I'm batting sixth in this lineup of dudes. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one is a little bit more intense. Blackballed at a bar due to a threesome. Let's go for it. Let's I know it's about cool stories. Yeah, right. You think you, think you hung out with some bands. Listen to what I did. 5'11", 165. No gym sats per se. I go five, six times a week. Run a sub seven-minute half marathon uh so i imagine he means his mile pace frequently apologies for the long windedness here but have a serious dilemma with some serious intrigue my girlfriend of five years let's call her kate and i share an apartment in a major west coast city about six months ago a new bar opened up in the old 1800s fire station across the street it is all caps perfect ah Nice. They love this place. That Great food, great. relaxed neighborhood vibes, plenty of TV showing every game you want. Kate and I become semi-regulars at the bar. I've gotten to know the awesome bar staff. and have even become friends uh, with some on a texting level basis. About a month ago, one of the bartenders, let's call her Anna, asked if we wanted to grab drinks that coming weekend. We had hung out at the bar staff in larger groups before, so we didn't find this out of the ordinary and certainly were expecting what lay ahead. That Friday, we met up with Anna at another local watering hole. And after a couple rounds of drinks, Anna confessed she had a crush on my girlfriend, thought I was hot too, and asked to make out with us both. Now, my girlfriend is uh, a tall, short-haired blonde who gives 90s supermodel vibes. Picture below. By the way, the pictures did not upload, so mm. I'm, I'm as left out as the rest of you. <laughs> um uh, she's been approached by other interested females in the past. She also identifies as bisexual. So the conversation of us potentially having a threesome wasn't exactly new either. That being said, the actual manifestation of such dalliances, um, dalliances have never presented themselves thus far in our relationship. While we were both flattered and interested, we raised the seemingly very important issue that Anna was dating another one of the bartenders at her neighborhood spot. Let's call him Justin. She said it was no big deal. And that she and Justin were in a, you guessed it, open relationship. And that he had actually encouraged her to invite us out with the apparent green light. Drinks at the bar floated and drinks at the apartment would float it into one of those nights. Magic. <laughs> All right. One of those nights that mere mortals will never, we're just like, what? What does that mean? But I don't know. I mean, this guy's 5'11", 165. Apparently, he's dating Cindy Crawford. Uh <laughs> So, you know, but he's also hot. So, you know, there's just, there's just invites. Some of these people are getting, the rest of us aren't getting gang. Don't worry. Don't let, I'm glad we did read this on a Monday, you know, because we don't want to set the tone on a Friday. Yeah. Guys being like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> right. This is this guy's problem. This is a problem. Oh, poor. Oh, no. Poor you. You, know, you can't get apps now at the fire station. I guess you're just going to have to settle not having any more threesomes outside of your super hot girlfriend that likes you. Poor guy. All right. Um, cut to the following week where all appeared well and good. We went over to watch the Thursday night game at the bar with no issues. And your girlfriend is this hot and she likes Thursday night football. 
NFTs. Things all changed the next weekend, however, when Anna texted Kate privately, asking if she'd be interested in a threesome with Justin and her, or solo, aka without me. Uh, My girlfriend politely declined, saying that's not really what she was interested in or our style as a couple, to which Anna responded, (laughs) totally understood. All right. All right. That, I thought, was going to be the bigger problem. Nope. This guy doesn't know how good he has it. So for the past two weeks post the declining, things have definitely not been okay. Justin has become an out-and-out asked us whenever we're at the bar, serving people around us and walking away, trying to spread stories that were rude to other bar staff and friends of ours, even going so far as to once threateningly walk around with a baseball bat in his shoulders for security when the bar was largely empty outside of my girlfriend and I. Dude, what is that, like a Jalen Rose NBA countdown? (laughs) Just walking around with a bat. Nobody can quite figure out why. Uh, Anna is retroactively apologetic for his actions when she's working solo, but is petrified to talk to us when they're working together. Petrified. That's not cool. Uh, which has become more and more commonplace since the hookup. My question for the council is how should I handle the situation? Do we put our heads down and try to ride out the uncomfortableness? Do I try to have a man-to-man conversation with the guy and tell him to chill? Do I talk to management about how weird this is getting? No, I don't think you go to management. Like, so we had a threesome and this is just out of hand. Um, like I said, this bar hits every box in the wish list, and I'd really only prefer to uh, not have to give it up because going uh, just because of some guy's personal relationship problems. Yeah, look, I mean, I think if as long as you're okay with it, it's kind of the boss move here to be like, and I'm going to keep showing up on Thursday night. <laughs> right. And I'm still getting to get apps, and I'm getting a couple drafts. And you know what? You were cool with it until you were left out. And then once you were left out, now you're not cool with it. So you're going to act like a fucking 12-year-old. So go ahead, be mad, walk around with your bat, and we're going to get six more rib sandwiches, the mini ones. I mean, look, unless you you don't feel uncomfortable enough to not go anymore, I think it's kind of awesome for you to be like, yeah, we're going again. See you guys there. Because this guy's just trying to do like passive weird shit, you know? And, And based on all the information we have here, I mean... I can understand his disappointment of, of being left out, but it appears he signed off on the the beginning part, expecting it to pay some sort of dividend down the street. And he <laughs> yeah. he has invested in a non dividend stock. He didn't realize he that. got dough coined. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not like it's not like you agreed to a future threesome later. <laughs> like this, you, there was no trade that happened. Like this was just something that happened. And dinner, he thought, bro. Sorry. Oh, I'll do you a favor, and you'll do me a favor, and that's not how it worked out. So. Uh, and the other thing too is like I love that. Like, what's he gonna hit you with the bat? Like, loser. I, I that's such a lame move to like walk around with like a weapon and act like you're like gonna do something and you're not. Uh, I think you just keep going. There's no way I would not go to that bar anymore. You keep going. You prove a point. You are gonna be. You're gonna like out hardo that per, that guy. And because uh, you didn't do anything wrong, you did nothing wrong. So I I think you're fine. Yeah, I. Actually, at first I felt really bad, but then I realized when he said blackball, like he didn't mean 86. Like he's just, it's just the vibes are off behind the counter over there. Not, not like I found this amazing bar and through this crazy misunderstanding, you know, I can't go back here. So that's cool. Uh, what I would say is uh, if it's a security type bar, just make sure you're making the rounds. Talk to those guys, too, because if, if one of the guys that work there has a beef with you, as long as everyone else loves you, everyone's going to be like to that guy, like, shut up, dude. Shut up, Dave. Doesn't matter. Nobody gives about nobody cares about your shit. Um, so that's that's one thing. But um, you the, the headline is you still get to go to your awesome, cool bar. And then I'd wonder 
are these have these guys been dating forever or is this going to be like one of those messy you know, coworker things. This is why they tell you not to screw people at work because then it's going to get weird. So if these people have been together for like eight years or something, this probably won't break down soon. But eventually it's going to be like if, if it's uh, just kind of a, a short beginning relationship, like this will probably end. And then, you know, he'll he'll move on. Uh, so I think I think talking to him is not off the table as long as you don't go like aggressively You're like, hey, man, is everything all right? I just feel like, uh, you know, if it's slow, you can just be like, hey, are we all good, man. I just. And just see what, well, it's see definitely what he says. not. Yeah, we're not. I think we already know that the answer is not going to be yeah. I'm but I'd want to know what he back says. Baseball. I'd want to hear what he says at least because he might even you seem like a fucking idiot saying it. What if you knew he could like from a physical thing? Do you want to ask that? Yeah, because I wouldn't ask him like, dude, we got a fucking problem here. I would just be like, hey man, are we, like, are we all right? I feel like uh, tab's been getting a little steep lately i don't know i probably wouldn't say that but i'm just like uh you know just just let him know like i know something's up but like i want you to say it like do, would you feel like a fucking complete tool saying why you why you're feeling this way i would just want to see what he says because we already know that i'm getting i'm getting his wrath behind the barn when all the all the all the shit he's he's doing to make me feel it i just want him to say it out loud at this point and you know i don't get rowdy like i try to do everything i can when i have my perfect spot to like not rock the boat but this isn't rocking the boat this would just be asking just to see if he's like embarrassed when he says what he says or if he's well, even going to admit it it's a good point because yeah if all the other people there are n not even on your side but just like don't really care then this is this is a non-issue for you at all i mean i think the problem too is this guy's ego is obviously dented and i'm sure people at work who know about this are probably like wow that dude are you know our guy's you know girl hooked up with two other people and he didn't even get anything back like what a loser so it's, it's just like a it's a it's certainly probably a, an ego hit to him and everybody's kind of like, I don't know, probably looking down on him a little bit. So he's probably acting out as a tough guy because he you know, wants to show his masculinity in the situation. But if everybody else around him is cool that works there, then you ain't got nothing to worry about. Yeah, I just say be cool to everyone else and, and keep being nice. Keep going. Keep cementing. Keep putting I your tips. roots down. Yeah, good tips for everybody yeah. else. Like, you know, that's I, yeah, I, I think you're fine. Yeah. Nobody feels bad for you, by the way. Yeah, that's all. Guys, guys are listening to this. There's no one going. Poor guy. Yeah. I like that Kyle in the beginning was really upset that he may not be allowed to go back to this bar that he liked. Like Kyle's first angst was, "Oh man, that fucking like, sucks." Yeah. Can you, you know talk what? to the owner? Have you tried? <laughs> okay. All right. That's uh, that's life advice on a Monday. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve and uh, Stefan for working on the show today. Ryan Russell Podcast, Ryan's Podcast. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 
1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-800-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 